If you're new around here, you know we often preach verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. We just finished uh, 50-some weeks going through the book of Luke. But this fall, we're taking a pause from that, and we are looking at some important topics uh, that will help us grow in our faith. And last week, we began this new series called Mirage. And what we're talking about is some spiritual ideas that hurt people. We're looking at some popular um, ideas that float around in our culture, and they're either untrue or oftentimes just incomplete. And when they're held onto or wrongly applied, they can really wind up hurting people's faith, hurting people. And um, for some, even perhaps for some of you, this was a reason why maybe you, 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 for a season of your life, you were disillusioned and you walked away from faith or from church or from God, Jesus, and the Bible. And so last week we looked at a couple of these ideas. One of them is that following Jesus brings success. That the reason you follow Jesus is, so, is for success. And what we said is it's true that following Jesus will make you better at life. But nowhere does it promise that following Jesus will bring success. The second one, very similar that we talked about, is that if you have enough faith, it'll fix anything. If you can just work up enough faith, it's going to fix whatever problem you're going through. And the third one we saw was this kind of idea around happy talk. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've gone through some very painful seasons in life and some very well and good intentioned people said some things to you that although maybe contained some elements of truth, were not at all helpful in the time, right? Like what you're going through is a blessing in disguise. You're like, really? Um, Things like everything happens for a reason, and, and here, here's the thing about this kind of happy talk when you're going through seasons, um, painful seasons in life. Well, the Apostle Paul says what you need to do in, in, in situations with people going through painful circumstances is you weep with those who weep. And so today we're going to follow up on what we started talking about last week, and we're going to look at a similar idea. And here's how this idea ties in, and that is that, that if you are in a place in life where you're going through what feels like an extended valley season, somewhere along the line, you must have made a wrong turn. And let me just talk for a second about um, valleys, because I think it's important to understand what we're talking about. You know, anybody climb 14ers? You know how you climb a 14er, and uh, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous, and you can see everything is clear, at the top of the 14er, right? You, as long as it's a clear day. You can see forever in every direction, it seems like. And it's like, oh, yeah, and you just have such clarity. Well, oftentimes, valleys are the opposite of that. You feel like you're in a fog. You feel like nothing is clear. What, what seems so clear, maybe in a moment where, where God spoke to you in a very unique way or led you in a very unique way, or you just were so, you, you know, you had a, a clarity about where your life was headed, and then you come down into a valley, and, and nothing's clear anymore. There's, there's three common attributes of valleys that I've seen. One of them is that there's, there's a valley seasons that just feel so repetitive, where it's a long season where you just feel like you're going through the motions over and over and over again, and somehow you lose the perspective of how this ties in to the bigger picture, and you find yourself asking questions like, does all this even matter? Sometimes valley seasons, I got three R's for you just because pastors are nerdy like that. I came up with them myself. Um, Sometimes these valley seasons are rehabilitative, rehabilitative. 
And you've experienced this in, in a season where you've gone through something very painful, perhaps actually a physical injury, um, but, but most of the time an emotional injury where you've been through something really rough and you're in this valley season and you feel like, is this pain ever going to end? I remember a couple of years ago, I, uh, I was doing calf raises with bare feet and I, and I damaged, um, I damaged the uh, soft tissue on the bottom of my foot. And I thought it was this dumb little thing that would go away. It took like a year to go away. I couldn't believe it. It was so painful for so long. And it was this valley season. I mean, you know, a little deep thing. But, but it was this thing of just going, is this ever going to end? Is this pain ever going to end? And then the other R when it comes to um, valley seasons. Sometimes valley seasons are remedial. They're remedial. Anybody remember remedial math? You're not going to admit it, are you? Remedial math where something that you learned and you were supposed to get, you just didn't get. And so you're back in a season now where it's like you're relearning something. It's corrective. It's a season where you're trying to correct a mistake that you've made, a sin that, 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 you've, um, that you've been involved in. And it's a season. And oftentimes in a valley, you, you feel like I paid enough for that mistake. Will I ever come out on the other side of this, Right? Those are characteristics of valleys. I remember I was just reading this morning um, in one of my journal entries from, from October of 2013, the first year we, we started the church over in the little event center over there. And after working so hard at it and feeling like, um, all right, we're, we're getting somewhere, we went through a series of going, are we actually getting anywhere? And I looked up, and, and the actual prayer, and it was kind of special baptizing these guys here this morning, because my actual prayer was, Lord, we've been praying for you to bring families. Will you ever answer? Will you ever answer? And then the question of how long are we, do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait? And some of you identify exactly with it because you're in that place in life right now where the thing you've been praying for, you're like, God, is this ever going to happen? Where the thing that you've been, just the pain that you've been going through, is this ever going to heal? And here's the thing. Most of us understand that temporary hardship is part of following God. It, it is. I mean, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. So we understand that life doesn't always go great, that there are times. But what about when the valley seems like it's more of a long-term place, right? What about when there's no way out in sight? And see, those seasons can be hard to walk through without losing faith, and without losing heart. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Kings 16. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen behind me. But we're going to see an event in the life of one of the greatest prophets, I think, that will be helpful for us as we find ourselves in seasons like this. And I think you'll be encouraged as you see that, you know what, if you're in a valley, it doesn't always mean you made, you took a wrong turn. Maybe there's something else going on in that season. And no matter how you find yourself in that season, uh, we're going to talk about three clarifying questions that should be really helpful for you as you walk through these seasons. And let me just say, some of you are like, man, life is great right now. Seasons are coming. Some of you, you know this because you've been through seasons and you're in a pretty good place right now. Others of you, you're in the thick of it right now. And this will be very, very helpful, I think, for you. And I, I pray. So... Uh, this guy we're going to look at today, Jason talked about him a couple weeks ago in an event later in his life. We're going to look at an event earlier in his life. This guy's name is Elijah. 
And to give you the context, uh, when this happens, it's about just about 200 years before this, the nation of Israel splits. They'd gone through about 200 years, and they'd gone through a whole string of bad kings. In fact, 19 evil kings in a row in the northern kingdom known as the kingdom of Israel. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. It says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, I'm just saying there's things you want to be remembered for, not for what this guy's remembered for, right? I mean, a string of 19 evil kings over 200 years. Think of that, 200 years, and here he comes along, and he gets the distinction even now, um, you know, almost 3,000 years later, of being the worst, the worst of them. Verse 31, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who introduced idolatry, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal, a false idol god, and worship him. Baal was one of the chief um, little g gods that were worshiped in the area. Now, so he's not only the worst evil king, but to top it off, he marries this woman named Jezebel. Let's do a little survey right here. How many of you named your daughter Jezebel? None of you. So interesting to me. Isn't it interesting that 3,000 years later, that name is still synonymous with, with evil, right? Now, some of you may have named your cats um, Jezebel, and I understand that. So it's in the middle of all this, it says he set up an altar for Baal. So he sets up, he actually builds a, a temple and an altar f- for this false god. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Asherah was another god they worshiped. And, and, and so this is the context that Elijah, the, one of the most famous prophets ever to live, was born into. This, this context of idolatry, of the worst king that Israel's ever had, the most evil king that Israel's ever had, and his wife, who 3,000 years later is still legendary, right? And, and this was a time of detestable practices in idolatry. They would sacrifice their children to false gods, something God abhorred, the one true God abhorred. They would engage in dis- disgusting acts with cult prostitutes in, in the name of religion, and many other things we can't really talk about in the service where there's still some kids in the service, okay? And this is the time when Elijah was born. Talk about a, a fun season to be alive in, huh? Not really. Not really. And during this time, God raises up this one guy, Elijah, and he gives him a mission. Instead of bringing an army against Ahab, he raises up one Man, And for some of you, there's something that God wants you specifically to stand up for in your surroundings. And you're waiting for somebody else to do it, but he wants you to be the one to take that step in your school, your workplace, your home. And so we find out right here, and this is really all we know about Elijah from the beginning. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. This is where he's introduced. And we see he is introduced to, 
by where he's from. That's all we know. Oh, it's Elijah from Tishba. And so in, in verse 1 of chapter 17, here's how the story unfolds. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, so he's, God raises him up, God gives him a message, and he comes before the king. And just Elijah's even, even his name confronts the king because Elijah means the Lord or Yahweh is the Lord. Yahweh is my God. The one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God. And so this guy, Elijah, stands before him and even his name confronts this wicked king, Ahab. And he stands up and we don't know how confident he is. This is the first time that we have any record that he did anything like this. Talk about intimidation. You've, you've been called to do some intimidating things. None of us have been called probably to stand in front of a king and deliver a message like this. Get this message. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, this is a strategic, prophetic judgment. This is, this is the big deal. This is like he, he comes up, he delivers this, mic drop, boom, you know, and he just kind of walks away. Because this is a huge judgment. We don't really get the weight of this because we don't live in a society that's based completely on agriculture. But you see, hundreds of years before this, the Lord had warned the people of Israel that if you go into this new land, it was known as the land flowing with milk and honey, one of the most productive regions in the whole Middle East. And, they, and God said, I'll send the rain at the right times. I'm going to provide for you in incredible ways. But if you go into that land and you abandon me and you serve false gods and idols and adopt the detestable practices of the nations around you, then one of the punishments is I will remove the rain from your land and you're going to suffer for it. And so this is, Elijah is just delivering the word that, hey, after 200 years, enough is enough. And God's going to do what he warned you about. And, and in an agricultural society, this isn't just like an economic slowdown. This is an economic shutdown. This is a big deal. This is famine. This is where you're, you're, you're scra scraping by just to survive. It's a very difficult place. And so Elijah delivers this message to the king. And it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Now see, if I was Elijah, I'd kind of want to drop this like mic drop moment and then I'd kind of set up in a little cottage and just watch this unfold and gloat. But that's because I'm probably not as good a guy as Elijah, right? So... Maybe he wanted to, too, but he didn't have the option. See, check this out. The Lord speaks to Elijah right after this amazing moment. He just had his first sort of big moment in, in his new career of being a prophet and ministry. This is his, his you know, introduction to the, to the nation and to the king. This is a big deal moment for him. And then right after this, it says, leave here. The Lord speaks to him. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. And so he did what the Lord had told him. Because that's what you do. When God clearly speaks something to you, you obey. When you know that you know that God has, has given you a directive, you obey. 
whether that's something he's clearly spoken in his word, uh, you know, a, a moral thing or an ethical thing, you, you do what he's spoken or whether that's something he has clearly communicated to you about, you know, a direction in your life. When he clearly speaks, you obey. And Elijah obeys. He obeys. And so if you're taking notes, you can write these th- three things down because I have just three questions for you to remember. That when you find yourself in a valley season, you need to ask these three questions to help bring some clarity to your situation. And the first clarifying question is this, why am I here? Why am I here? It's a very important question to ask before you rush out and try to fix anything. Because especially guys, that's our, we like to fix it, right? But before you go into fix it mode, you need to clarify, why am I in this valley season? What's the reason I'm here? And for Elijah, the the answer was real simple. I'm here because of obedience. I'm here because of obedience. I'm in this valley because God wanted me here. I am here because I said yes to God. Now, here's what you got to know about the Kareth Ravine. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means cut off. Cut off from fellowship. Cut off from blessing. Cut off from everyone else. And so God leads this super prophet who he's just used to deliver this message. And the first thing he does with them is he directs him to go into this valley season where he is cut off from comfort, cut off from all the things that make life pleasant. And this is very, very common in Scripture. You see, God brought Elijah here because before he was going to do a great work through Elijah, he had to do a great work in Elijah. Before he would do a great prophetic work through Elijah, he had work that had to be done in Elijah's heart. And so he brings him, actually God brings him into this valley season. You see, If you find yourself in a a season that's a valley, it's not always a wrong turn. Sometimes God brings you there. This is common in Scripture. You see Jesus, right after his baptism, as the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, what's the first thing he does? It says the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness where what? He was tempted. He had to go through a season, a valley. You see this in the Apostle Paul, who even though he was a brilliant preacher and he, he um, had this amazing, incredible encounter with Jesus and, and went from persecuting the church to preaching the resurrection of Jesus powerfully, but even before God allowed him to do the incredible work that he did, which would go on to change the whole Mediterranean rim and the whole world, this really, really Paul is one of the primary reasons why you and I are sitting here 2,000 years later. God brought him into a season Seven years in the Sinai Desert. Seven years in Arabia. God had a deep work in him. He was talented, but God had a character work that he had to do in him before God would do a great work through him. And sometimes you are in a valley season because you said yes to God. A common trait when you're in one of these, when you're in one of these situations is it seems like obedience is backfiring. That you know you said yes and you obeyed what God was telling you to do, but it doesn't seem like it's working out. It seems like, in fact, it just stirred the pot. It's just, you know, you're not connecting the dots. That was our first year as we tried to to launch this thing. And then as we were working hard at it and it wasn't going as well as we thought, and then we had to decide if we were going to 
you know, abandon a salary and go for this full-time ministry. Okay, God. And then we found out we might not have a place to meet anymore. And we're like, what? It's a season where you said yes to God, but it seems to be backfiring. It doesn't seem to be working out the way that you had imagined. And here's what you need to know in those times. Just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean it's time to bail to quit ministry or a job or bail on a relationship, a marriage that you know you need to fight for. The second reason why you're here, the first one's obedience. You said yes to God. The second one is disobedience. And this is a common thing too. And this is the wrong turn. You made a foolish or a sinful decision. In Israel, you see multiple cycles of subjugation because they, Israel kept going into idolatry and God kept allowing the, the tribes and the surrounding peoples to, to come in and wreak, wreak havoc. That's not said right. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, havoc. How about havoc? And you've experienced that in your life at times too, where you find yourself in a valley season and you know exactly why. You're there. See, in seasons of disobedience, the, the one good thing about them when you find yourself in the valley is it's really easy to identify why you're there. It's not hard. There was a foolish decision, an unwise choice, or a series of unwise choices. There was a, a sinful decision, and it's left you in a season where you wish you could go back, right, and change it. The third kind of season when you're asking questions of why, why am I here is, is an I don't understand it season. And some of you are in one of those right now where you're like, you know, I, I, I don't think this is just a hardship because, you know, I said yes to God and I don't think I, there was any sin or foolishness. I just, maybe it's a health crisis. You're just going through it. And there's no good explainable reason. You don't understand why. And you know what? This is the hard thing. But in these seasons, humility is coming to the point of going, you know what, I may not ever understand this in this life. Can I make a confession as a preacher? Um, I still struggle with the book of Job. Maybe you do too, if you've ever read it. If not, read it, right? It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's harsh. That's hard. You talk about, you know, I know... He ended up, it, it ended up turning out well for him, but I, I think about, well, what about all those kids that got, you know? It's a hard one for me. And the truth is, there's just some answers we're not gonna get in this life. And sometimes you are in a season where it's like, I just don't understand. And so Elijah finds himself in a valley season in the Kareth Ravine, literally cut off. Now, it goes on, verse five. So he did what the Lord had told him. He obeyed. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. In a little while, we're gonna find out this was for a period of time. Quite a bit of time went by. Verse six, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, anybody remember a flannel graph from Sunday school? If you don't, it's like, it's okay. You didn't miss that much, okay? This is a flannel, and you'd put these little things on it. Um, and this is like one of those like warm, cozy stories. Oh, this is the one where Elijah was in the desert, and the ravens brought him food, meat, and bread. And the, it's all pretty on the flannel graph. But let me just like take the shine off of this for a minute, okay? 
Because we do this. We read scripture and we don't understand the valleys and the depth of some of these things that these guys went through, right? These, he's being brought meat. Now, when I think meat, I'm, you know, I'm just reading this in my mind because I like barbecue. It's like, all right, we're talking like a T-bone for breakfast and a ribeye for dinner. And like a, a nice baguette, you know, and a croissant in the morning. I could do that, you know? That's not what's happening here. Have you ever seen ravens? They're scavengers. Now, we don't know exactly. I mean, this is God's supernatural provision for him, but I don't think it's 100% pleasant, and it's definitely not T-bones and ribeyes. This is probably scraps and and shreds of meat that are being brought that he has to then figure out a way to, to cook up, right? And then he's drinking out of this probably dirty little brook, and there's these scraps of bread, and God's providing for him literally what he needs, but these are ravens. They're dirty animals. Um, I have a cat. We have a cat. We've talked about the cat a lot. That's why those of you that have been coming for a while are laughing, because this cat adopted us, and it was not my choice. So I'm still a little bitter, but she's kind of working her way into my heart. Um, <laughs> So we had this cat, and, and this cat on the backyard, it was, it was the craziest thing. Uh, we're, we're back hanging out in the evening, and this little like bunny runs by, and the cat, in a gruesome, I mean, like gutted it. It was nasty. Um, it was like Discovery Channel, National Geographic stuff. <laughs> so the cat gets this dead little dying bunny and drags it down onto the yard, and we're just like, oh my gosh, that is so nasty. Go inside, kids. You don't need to look at this, you know? And then proceeds to eat half of it and leaves the, the dead carcass out on the lawn overnight, right? And I'm going, oh man, I got to get up in the morning and take care of that nasty bunny carcass out there on the lawn. And so first thing in the morning, I kind of get ready and I watch this raven fly around, swoop down, pick up the carcass and carry it away. And I'm like, thank you. That's a raven for you. It's, it's not this like pleasant, cozy, flannel graph kind of experience. He is in a valley season, and God is providing for his needs, but just barely for his needs. What he needs, I mean, morning and evening, two meals a day. Some of us would argue we need three. You know, you don't actually, but some would argue. But God is just providing for what he needs in this situation. And here's what you need to ask when you find yourself in a valley season of life. Here's the second thing you need to ask is, what is the God-honoring response? What is the God-honoring response? Now, it's important to know the answer to the first question before you ask the second question. Because you need to know why you're there in the first place if you want to have a context. But this is a very important question to ask. And all these questions are best when you, when you process them with, with some wise people that love God in your life. You, you process it, and, you know, because we don't always see this clearly. Wise counsel is very important. But what is the God-honoring response? And for Elijah, it's like, it's, I'm just supposed to stay here. I'm just doing what God told me to do, Right? And for some of you, you're in a season where, where God actually brought you into this season and it's not comfortable and you would rather not be in it. 
but you haven't been given a release to get out of it. And God hasn't showed you anything more. And in those situations, your call is to hang tough, to stick in there, to trust God. Don't be like Jonah who ran away and refused to do what God was calling him to do. It wasn't a pleasant experience for Jonah, right? And see, Elijah was in that place where he had to patiently wait and humbly receive the food that God provided for him. God was working humility in his heart. Literally, God was breaking him down in this season. God was doing a deep work within him. And some of you, in the season you're in, that's what God is doing in your life, is a deep work. It's not comfortable. You don't want to stay there forever. But God is doing a deep work in you. He's providing for you. But it feels like Elijah. It feels like he's just providing meal by meal. You feel like there's not any more to go around. And in this season, valley season you're in, you just need to hang in there. If what is the godly or God-honoring response? If, if you're in a season where you know the reason why you got into it was because you made a foolish or sinful decision, then the God-honoring response, as you prayerfully, as you get wisdom and counsel around it, but it's really to turn around and go the other direction. This is the biblical word we call repentance. Repentance. It's not just saying you're sorry. I mean, feeling sorry is good, but we all know how much... Um, Credit that holds with, uh, say, with kids, right? If you have kids, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, let's see how you respond, right? And repentance is literally turning. You've been going one direction. You've been walking away from God, and you turn and you walk back towards God. That you realize God has said these, these things in your life, in your moral life, in your, in your um, ethical life that I've asked you to do, and you realize you violated that. And so you don't just say you're sorry. You do that, and you receive forgiveness, but then you turn, and you walk the other direction. That's called repentance. And repentance is always a God-honoring response. And when you're in that season where you just don't understand, you don't, don't get it, there's no explanation. You don't think you've done anything wrong and you're not sure how God's leading you in the whole situation. In those circumstances, it's tough, but you gotta, you, don't lose your faith. Don't lose heart. You just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Trust him that he is good even though you can't see the outcome to the situation. Verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let me just pause right there for a minute. Because this is the other thing about valley seasons. Have you noticed, and perhaps you've noticed that in even in valley seasons, as uncomfortable and as painful as they are, you can kind of get comfortable and in a routine. And there's a time when God has brought you into a season where he wants to bring you out of the season. How many of you have heard the phrase where God guides, he provides? That's absolutely true. I've seen that over and over as people have you know, gone into the mission field or gone after something where God has really clearly led them into something and they've gone after it and God comes through and provides in incredible ways. But there's another phrase, it's the inverse of that, and it's also True, and sometimes God allows you something to dry up in your life that was bringing you sustenance before because he wants to move you into a new place 
of obedience to him. He wants to move you into a new place of significance for something he's called you to in life. And this is what happens for Elijah. He finds himself in this place. And, you know, even I'm betting even in the Carith Ravine, he's kind of got it down to a routine. He kind of figured out the right, like, salt spices and how long to grill it on the little coal fire to make these little shreds of meat kind of good, you know? And he'd, he'd put that little loaf and crumbs together, and he would kind of, you know, I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, but, hey, it's not a bad living, right? And he's kind of comfortable, even in the midst of it. And then God allows literally the source of his life, the brook, because, you know, you can live for quite a while without food. You can't live very long at all without water, especially in a hot desert. And he allows that to dry up. And I don't know what Elijah was thinking, but I know what I would be thinking. Are you kidding me, God? We're obeying. I've been obeying you. I went where you said, and now you take this away. I experienced some emotions like that when we walked away from a perfectly good um, salary and said, we're going to launch this thing. And then we find out we don't have a place to meet quite possibly. And we're like, oh no, God wasn't just stepping out in faith. Good enough. What are you doing? Some of you experienced that. Some of you are experiencing something like that right now in your life. And see, sometimes the, God, the reason God allows that to happen is to move you into a place of deeper significance. <laughs> Because he realizes you've gotten comfortable in this. Even in this valley season, you've gotten in a groove, you've gotten comfortable, and he wants to move you into a new place of significance. He wants you to get to the things. See, the deep work he's doing in you isn't just about you. We say this frequently around here. Life is for you, it's not about you. Don't ever get those confused. Life is for you, it's not about you. And the deep work that he wants to do in you during that season that he has you is not just for you. It's for accomplishing the purposes he has for you in this world. It's for impacting the people that he's called you to love in your, in your workplace and in your school. It's for making a difference in whatever the area he is that he's lighting your heart up about. It's not, it's not all about you. And so during this time, the brook dries up, and then the word of the Lord comes clearly. He's got Elijah's attention. He's ready to listen. In verse 9, it says, Go at once to Zaphiroth in the region of Sidon and stay there. This is about 100 miles away, all the way on the Mediterranean coast. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. If you're taking notes, the third thing you need to write down as you're going through these seasons is you really need to ask, what do I need to learn from this? What do I need to learn from this? And I think one of the big things, if you're walking through a season of, of disobedience, obviously don't do it again, right? Change course, change the circumstances that got you there. But one of the big things you learn in these valley seasons is God's grace is for you. That there is mercy and love and forgiveness available to you. You may have blown it in an area, but he loves you. Like we saw last week, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He loves you. And he offers forgiveness and grace for you. 
doesn't mean it's going to be a quick, easy road out of the valley. It's going to take some time. It's going to be painful. But you can have full assurance of his forgiveness and his love and his grace for you. When you're in a season where you just don't understand it, I mean, one of the big things you learn is you're not in control. That God is God and you're not. And I think one of the things you learn as you lead into to the Holy Spirit is that even though you don't understand, there is, a, there is a special sense of God's presence in that time. Like he says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Some of you are experienced that or have experienced that in things you've gone through. And for that season where you're in this season where where you're, you know you follow God, you know you said yes, and you're thinking, God, why, why, why am I here? Why am I here? You need to realize the work he's doing in you is not just about you. It's, it's bigger than you. And the thing he's trying to accomplish as he works in your heart is intended to impact those around you. And see, this is exactly what we see in the life of Elijah. He goes out from this place. He meets up with this widow, just like God said he would. He tells her, hey, um, go make me a, a small loaf of bread, please. And she says, are you kidding me? Uh, my son and I are, are, are dying here. In fact, we have one little bit of flour left, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to bake it, and we're going to eat our last meal, and then we're going to sit around and wait to die. The situation's that bad. And you see, God just brought Elijah through this, and he speaks faith into that moment, and he says, no, no, no. Trust me. Make me a loaf of bread. Give me a drink of water. From this point forward, as long as this famine goes, that flower's not going to run out. And she obeys. She, she trusts, and that's exactly what happens. Sometime later, see, God had strategically placed him in her life, her in his life, for sustenance, but really him in her life to help save the life of this widow and her son. Sometime later, her son gets sick and dies. And God gives Elijah the faith to do something that we've never before seen in history or in scripture. He brings this child, carries him up to the upper room and cries out to God. Has the faith to pray that God would resurrect him. And God does. See, God had done a great work in Elijah's heart in the Kareth Ravine where he experienced that provision from God. But it wasn't just for him. It was for the significance of what he wanted to accomplish through him. You see, some of you, you're in that place where you're just, you feel like you barely got enough to make it through the day. I had a missionary friend, and literally, they were praying about things like a tube of toothpaste, and God provided, Lord, please, we need a tube of toothpaste. And somebody random out of the blue brings them a tube of toothpaste. They didn't know they were praying about that. And it's clearly God like providing for them, right? But God doesn't want to keep you in that place forever because you're not too effective at impacting other people's lives when, you, when your big concern is, how do I get a tube of toothpaste, right? And every step that God has on this journey for you will probably require more faith. And it'll be a bigger step of faith along the way. The next thing that God calls you into will probably require more faith than you have today. And the work that he's doing in your heart right now is to get you to the place where you're ready for what he wants to do through you. 
And so lean into what he wants to do through you. Would you stand? Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. You remember Elijah was introduced just a, at the beginning of this chapter as just Elijah, the Tishbite from, from Tishba, right? Here's how he's known at the end of this chapter after God does this deep work in him. Here's what the woman says to Elijah. He says, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord is from your mouth, is truth. I know you have a different identification now because of what God has brought you through. You are a man or a woman of God. And that's the work that God wants to do in you. That's what God wants to do in your heart during that season of a valley that you might be in. If you're in a valley, it doesn't always mean you took a wrong turn. So I encourage you to ask these questions. Why am I here? What's the God-honoring response? What do I need to learn from this? Let me just say for some in the room, you know, God has allowed you to be in a valley so that you will come to a place of acknowledging your desperate need for him. You realize you've made a mess of things out of your life. The truth is you can't straighten out your life out on your own. Oh, you might be able to get the circumstances changed, but when it comes to being spiritually okay with God, you can't do that on your own. You can't get right with God on your own terms. It's only by his grace, unmerited favor. And that's offered to you by embracing what he did for you when he died on the cross and he rose again. He might not fix your circumstances right away, but he offers you forgiveness and the assurance of right standing with him and the promise of eternal life that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so as we close in prayer, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to invite you to respond. And if that's you in the room, either quietly or out loud, you can pray a prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I need you. I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. I want to turn from my sin and follow you. Welcome me into your family. And give me eternal life. And Lord, for all of my other friends, I just want to ask that you would just give them clarity to know exactly uh, that they would remember, if they're not in this season, that they would remember it. But if they are, that they would just have the clarity of knowing why they're there and that they would know what is the God-honoring response and that they would learn and get what you're trying to teach them during this time. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.